Injustice is everywhere. It's in the workplace when you get passed up for a promotion for someone less qualified but more connected. It's in the checkout lane when a customer puts down an employee for a decision her boss made. It's in our lives when we are punished for doing what's right. Injustice is all around. The question is, what do we do with it? Welcome to Rooted Daily, the podcast where we're rooting ourselves in the Bible so we can grow with God a little more every day. I'm Brandon Levy, and we serve a perfectly just God. Deuteronomy 32.4 says God is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. We belong to a kingdom where justice and righteousness reign. But living in such an unjust world, that can seem like a contradiction. I mean, look around. It's hard to say that the world around us is a place where justice rules and those at the top too often are only making it worse. And that was definitely the case before the Exodus. The king of the land was a tyrant. He made the world less just. And God's people, just like we have to today, had to navigate the contradiction of belonging to a just God, but submitting also to unjust rulers. Should you obey an evil Pharaoh? And for the Israelites, that wasn't a hypothetical question, and it wasn't for the early Christians either. The church in the days of Peter and Paul was confronted every day by the same dilemma. They were told, on one hand, that submission is our default. It's our default for God's people. When a pharaoh or an emperor or anyone in authority, from a president to your boss to your parent, hands you an order, you should obey. That's our default. In the New Testament, we have clear and direct commands to respect authority. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14 says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. And submission isn't just a command about government. No, submission runs through all of our relationships. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.22, for wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Submission runs through everything. It runs through our entire lives. And as Christians, as God's people, submission is our default. And that command holds, even when submission is hard. Certainly wouldn't have been easy for the early Christians to submit to a Roman government trying to persecute and imprison them. But at some point, a line is crossed and submission becomes more than just hard, it becomes impossible for someone who belongs to God. In the lead up to the Exodus, that's where the people found themselves. Submission was no longer just hard. It was impossible if you feared God. And we see several scenes right in the beginning of the book of Exodus that raise this dilemma. Remember the midwives first. Uh, and I recognize there's some debate over whether the midwives were Hebrew or Egyptian. I believe the evidence is overwhelming that they were Egyptian. So these aren't God's people, in my view, but Exodus 117 says they feared God nevertheless. Pharaoh had commanded them 
to do something so evil to the Israelites that even these women who didn't belong to God, who probably harbored some of the same prejudices against the Hebrew people as Pharaoh did, they still feared what the God of Israel would do if they obeyed Pharaoh. It's a stunning scene that leads to a whole host of questions. Is lying sometimes okay? Did the midwives even lie at all? Did God just overlook their lie if they did? Did he forgive it? Did it need to be forgiven? After all, this lie was part of a chain of events that led to the birth of Moses. There's all sorts of questions there. And this is just the first story in a sequence of events. After the midwives disobey, Pharaoh issues his decree to all the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Isn't that extraordinary when you think about it? With the midwives, Pharaoh was asking Egyptians to kill the Hebrew babies. And as awful as that is, I can see how Pharaoh thought he was going to get away with it. But now he's commanding Hebrew mothers to kill their own babies. How did he think that was going to go? But nevertheless, that was his order. And soon after, a Levite woman had a baby boy. And she looked at her child, as any mother would, and realized there was no way she was going to kill this baby. It didn't matter if Pharaoh, the king of England, the Roman emperor ordered her to, to kill this child. It wasn't going to happen. You know, just the thought of it must have made her sick to her stomach. And so this woman, who we know as Jochebed, the mother of Moses, disobeyed a direct order from her king. And once again, we have a story of submission not just being hard, but impossible. Submitting to Pharaoh would have meant rebelling against the will of God and rebelling against everything righteous. So Jochebed's story, it, it shouldn't surprise us. Of course she would hide her baby. People will debate back and forth whether or not God approved of the midwife's lie or if it was a lie, but I don't think there's much doubt about this. Jochebed did the right thing. In fact, she did the only sane thing in the situation. But notice the details very closely here. Pharaoh orders that all male babies be killed in a specific way. They're to be thrown into the Nile. So what does Jochebed do? Well, first, she out and out disobeys, right? For three months, she flatly refuses to follow Pharaoh's command and hides Moses. And in the same way, the midwives flat out misdirected Pharaoh. Some will try to justify the midwives' actions by saying they only withheld the whole truth. They didn't actually lie. Uh, and maybe the Hebrew women were quick with childbirth, or, or maybe the midwives were just really slow when they were summoned so that they could say that to Pharaoh that uh, they didn't get there in time. That seems pretty absurd to me, though. Pharaoh gave a clear command, and the midwives disobeyed and didn't tell him the truth. And in most situations, that would be sin, whether you call it lying or not. And with Jochebed, Moses' mother, what she did would be sinful in any other situation too. Someone in authority had commanded something of her and she refused to submit. Any other day that would be sinful. But just like the midwives were kind of cagey in their rebellion, they, they kind of told a, a half-truth to Pharaoh maybe, Jochebed kind of half-rebels too. 
After three months of hiding Moses, Jochebed finally decided if Pharaoh wanted her to throw her baby in the Nile, well, she better do what he says. Moses is put into the Nile, but Jochebed and the sister of Moses, Miriam, had no intentions of letting Pharaoh have his way. Again, under normal circumstances, this kind of disobedience and, quite frankly, snark, underhanded dealing would be sinful. But it was because of Jochebed's actions that Moses grew up in a position to lead his people out of Egypt. And so, a couple chapters later, God appears to Moses in a burning bush and says, I have certainly seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry caused by their slave masters. I really do understand their pain, so I have come down to deliver them from their domination by the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's going to come in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. But this balance of serving a just and righteous God in an unjust world carries through the book. And it just keeps raising more questions for us. The next scene is after Moses is taken into the household of the Pharaoh, uh, who's intent on killing him, he's now safe. He's given the name Moses, he grows up, and Moses seems to get a sense of this contradiction. After 40 years of growing up, here he is sitting in the Pharaoh's house, but his people are still being brutally oppressed in the country of his adoptive grandfather. So one day, he goes out to where his people, the Hebrew people, are forced to work, and he's watching it. He's taking it all in. And no doubt, he's probably got some conflicting feelings about it all. But then something catches his eye. He sees an Egyptian beating one of his own people. And so looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, midwife's line, I can pardon that. Jochebed hiding her son. Of course, that makes sense. But killing someone? That's something else entirely. And the fact that this is dropped into the text without even a pause makes it all the more stunning. In just a few verses, God himself is going to speak directly with Moses, and this event doesn't even get a mention. So, what should we make of it? Naturally, a lot of people, just like with the midwives, try to explain this away. They try to downplay it or say that God didn't notice it or he didn't approve of it, he just overlooked this or he forgave it. There's nothing in the text that suggests any of that. Because think about the situation. What else could Moses have done? Could he have walked away with a clean conscience? Would that have been the right thing? No way. Could he have tried to reason with the overseer? Probably not, and walk out with his life and his freedom, and God had plans for Moses. Should he have attacked without killing the guy? Well, if he did that, he could have been killed. He could have been informed on. Again, Moses is operating in an imperfect world. There are no good answers here. And so he chose the one that saved the life of his brother. I'm not sure how much Moses thought about that. It, it seems like it's more of a uh, take a glance around and go with your gut. And that doesn't always lead us to do the right thing, but it sure seems to me that God did not mind what Moses did. Perhaps he wanted him to grow from this situation. Later on, he addresses conflict better, but in the face of awful injustice, I mean, this slave could have been killed by the overseer. In the face of that, 
Moses acted decisively, and Moses' brother was saved because of it. The midwives lied, and while lying is generally wrong, they saved lives while doing it. Jochebed and Miriam rebelled against the king, and that's generally wrong, but Moses lived because of it. And now Moses is killed, something that is normally one of the evilest acts, yet his killing perhaps saved a life. And none of these decisions would have been made in a just world, but they weren't living in a just world. In the face of Pharaoh, there were no easy answers. They would always be balancing their commitment to serving a just God in an unjust world. As long as they were in Egypt, there would always be this contradiction. Doesn't that sound familiar? And we live in a different era. Don't get me wrong here. I, I don't think Exodus is a guidebook for when we should lie or rebel or steal. The Israelites were working to establish a physical kingdom, but now God wants us to work for a spiritual kingdom. And how we defend that is different than what was required of Moses. But that doesn't mean there's nothing to learn from these stories. For Shipra and Pua and Jochebed and Miriam and Moses, the contradiction between the justice God called them to and the injustice Pharaoh ordered of them meant they had a lot of tough decisions. And sometimes it seems like they just have to follow their gut reactions to the injustice around them. And the same thing will happen to us because we too are living in an unjust world. But remember, when we face those hard choices, God's solution wasn't to teach the midwives how to lie better to evil kings. It wasn't how teaching them how to hide babies better from the authorities. It wasn't to teach Moses how to kill violent men better. No, his solution wasn't to teach his people how to live in slavery better. His solution was to set them free. Today, God doesn't want you to get better at living in slavery. Slavery to this world and slavery to sin. He wants to set you free. That doesn't mean you still won't have hard choices to make. This world we live in isn't just. But we make those choices knowing that this world is not our home. And that'll do it for this episode of Rooted Daily. I cannot wait to sit down and open up God's word with you next time. Thank you for watching this episode of Rooted Daily. We're praying that you're growing with us as we study the Bible and use God's word as our only foundation. If you appreciate this content and wanna make sure others see it, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app and hit the share button. Most importantly, if you're ready to take the next step, repent, be baptized, and hand over your life to Jesus, let's talk today. Just send me a text to 317-207-2734.